tonight, we are going to be in John chapter 17. John chapter 17. So you could go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John 17. And if you're taking notes, we're going to be in a message entitled Jesus's prayer for you. Jesus's prayer for you. And then Leanna, can we trigger the, the teaching display so I could see it up here too? And as you guys turn there, I want to ask you, what would you guys do? Now, it's kind of hard for us to imagine this. Perfect. Thank you. It's kind of hard for us to imagine this. But what would you guys do if Jesus himself walked right through that door over there, came into this room and said, you guys, I want to pray over you? Wouldn't we all just be like, uh, yes. Please, Jesus, pray over me. You know, in the Bible, in the Gospel of John, there is this amazing portion of Scripture which starts about in John 13, the start of John 13, and goes all the way through the end of John chapter 17. Now, uh, I'm going to be completely honest. Like, if we were to look at all the things that we could talk about and learn from in John 13 through 17, we could do like a year-long series. That's how like in-depth Jesus goes with the disciples. And it's known as the Upper Room Discourse. Why do you guys think it's called the Upper Room Discourse? Where do you think they were? They were in a room that was upper. So it was like an upstairs building. And we're kind of in an upper room too, when you think about it. You know, we're in a second story building. And so I want you guys to really, you know, I, I encourage you, maybe just jot down in your notes, go read John 13 through 17. Because in my personal opinion, and I'm not alone in this, I was talking to some friends today, in my personal opinion, and a lot of people's opinion, this is like maybe the best portion of the entire Bible. And you're like, oh, how could you say that? It's amazing. It is so amazing. And so the upper room discourse, you guys, it takes place the night before Jesus is actually crucified on the cross, right? We all know the story of how Jesus, he died on the cross for our, for our sins, right? So that we could be forgiven. And this conversation, this teaching by Jesus takes place the night before he is about to die. He's with the disciples in the upper room, all right? And he teaches them all these things. And, you know, it, it was a time of Jesus. He was telling them, guys, this is what's about to happen to me. I'm about to be beaten. I'm about to be killed. I'm, I'm going to be crucified. It's a time of him being super real with them, telling them what's about to happen. He even tells them what's going to eventually happen to them, the disciples of how the world is going to hate them, which we'll get into some of that. But it's also a time of him encouraging them and building them up. You see in John 13 through 16, you, we see Jesus talk about serving one another, about loving one another, about how in him, the father is revealed about how the Holy Spirit will come and what the Holy Spirit will do about how in a tribulation filled world about how we can have peace. In John 15, he talks about what it means to abide in Jesus. 
We learn about how the world will hate and reject the disciples because they are Jesus's followers and how he'll soon be leaving them, how he will come back for them. And honestly, that all of what I just said is just the tip of the iceberg in this relatively short portion of the Bible. But in John 17 specifically, you guys, if you're talking to your neighbor, I pray that you would just pay attention because this is some of the most precious stuff in the Bible. I don't think you'd be talking to your neighbor if Jesus himself walked in like we described and started to pray over you. I would hope not. But in John 17, he prays for you. He prays for the disciples. He prays for me. He prays for everyone who would call themselves a follower of Christ. And so what I'm going to do right now, I don't know if you've ever had something like this done for you, but I'm going to ask that you would all simply envision this scene right here. Just, we could go to the next slide. And I want you to see this scene right here. And I want you, this is essentially kind of, this is not a perfect illustration, but this is kind of what the upper room may have looked like. Jesus teaching them, the disciples in a U-shaped table. That's how they'd sit. They'd sit on the floor on pillows. And I want you to imagine that you're at this table. And this is how, this is how deeply I want you to imagine this. I want everyone to close your eyes. I'm, I'm serious. I don't want to see anyone's eyeballs. And I want you to keep your eyes closed. Because I'm going to read this entire chapter right now. While you do have your eyes closed. And you're going to hear my voice. But imagine it's Jesus' voice. Imagine my voice just fades into the distance and it's almost as though you could hear from Jesus personally. I am not Jesus. I would never claim to be. So though you may hear my voice, I want you to just listen to what Jesus prayed over you. And I'm going to be honest, this is, this is going to take about four minutes for me to read this. So you're going to have your eyes closed for about four minutes. Take this seriously. Seriously. Don't, don't mess with your, your neighbor to, next to you. Listen to what Jesus prays over you. Can we do that for four minutes? Yes. Okay. In John 17, verse 1, it says, Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you, before the world was. I have manifested your name to men, to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I've given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. 
and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one, that the world would know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just pray right now that you would anoint your word, Lord, that you would teach us, Lord, that we would learn from this prayer that Jesus prayed as though he himself were in here with us, praying over us, Lord, that we would take this so seriously, Lord, and that we would be encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys did great. So that was a good chunk of scripture, 26 verses to be exact. And there's a lot, you know, I talked about how there's a lot to unpack in John 13 through 17. There's a lot to unpack in John 17 here tonight. So we're not going to, you know, dive into detail into every specific element of John 17. That prayer that I just read over you guys, that prayer that Jesus prayed over his disciples. But we are going to look at some of the things kind of with like a flyover approach. Okay, kind of more of an overview. We'll go in depth on some things, but for the most part, we're doing an overview of Jesus's prayer for you and for me, and for his disciples, all right? So the first thing I want you guys to note down, if you're taking notes, is we see in verses two through three, Jesus's prayer for you is that you'd have eternal life, that you'd have eternal life. 
He says in verse two through three, he says that as you have given him, he's referring to himself, the son of God. He says, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you had, have given him. And then he identifies specifically what eternal life is, right? What does he say? He says, eternal life that they may know you. You see, I love this because the first and foremost part of Jesus's prayer is that you'd have eternal life. You see, it's the will of God that everyone would have eternal life. Did you guys know that God wants the whole world to be saved? He loves the world. It's not like he, he loves some and doesn't love everyone. No, he loves everyone and offers salvation, offers eternal life to anyone, to whoever would receive him, right? We, what's the most famous verse in the Bible? What would you guys say? John 3.16, right? And in John 3.16, we see of God's love for the world and how he desires the whole world to be saved. Note down John 3.16 in your notes, and it'll also be on the screen for you. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, everybody say whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And everlasting life is essentially the same thing as eternal life, what we're talking about, that you'd have eternal life. You see, there's no exceptions. Whoever would want to believe in Christ and what Christ has done for them, they can have everlasting and eternal life. You see, the gospel has no exclusions. It's not like it only applies to some. It's available to all, but not all except what Christ has done for them. And Romans 10, 13 says, for whoever, everybody say whoever again. Whoever. Not, don't say again, but just say whoever. <laughs> For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And in 1 Timothy 2, 4, it says that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, the Bible makes a, a pretty big deal about this eternal life thing, doesn't it? Yes or no? The Bible talks a pretty significant amount about eternal life, everlasting life. But I want to turn to you guys now. And I want to ask you guys, just, you, you know, take a shot at it if, you, if you'd like. What is eternal life? We say it all the time. What's everlasting life? Yeah, Levi. What's eternal life? What? We won't sin. Yeah, in eternity we won't sin. Lincoln? Praising the Father in heaven forever. Awesome. Yep. Emmy? In paradise with him. Anyone want to add anything? Ben? We won't die. Yeah, we'll live forever. Last one, Anna. There will be peace. There will be peace. Yeah, these are all awesome things. But eternal life is actually more than just being with God in heaven forever. There's more to it. And I'm going to blow your guys' mind right now because what Jesus says is he says that eternal life is to know God. Everybody write that down in your notes. Eternal life equals knowing God. Eternal life equals knowing God. Now, I want to challenge you guys to think here for a moment that if eternal life, if Jesus says that eternal life is to know God, then what, what he's essentially saying 
is that our experience with eternal life does not merely start at the moment that we die. Your experience with eternal life begins at the moment that Jesus offered you salvation and you received his free gift of salvation. Death is just the transition to get into eternity, but eternal life, what it means is to know God. Everybody say, know God. God wants you to know him. You see that word know in the Greek? The word is gnosko. Everybody say gnosko. Anybody Greek? You got any like Greek in them? No. Well, the word in Greek is gnosko. And that word, I, don't, I didn't write gnosko up there. It would have been hard to spell. And there's like all sorts of lines and stuff. But what it means when he says to know God, it means to become acquainted with God, to learn to know God and to know God through experience. And the only way that you can know God in this way is to have a relationship with him. And I love this, you know, some people are so just bound up in, in religion and just, you know, going to church and doing this and doing that. And we should go to church and we should do this and we should do that as God commands. But it's all factors that contribute to the most important thing, which is you having a personal relationship with God. God invites you to know him, to have this beautiful, intimate relationship with him. I love what in Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, these have quickly become some of my favorite verses in the Bible. I know I just said that of like John 13 through 17, but I have a lot of favorite verses, <laughs> but this is, this is a special verse to me. And it's talking all about what we're saying right here about what it means to know God. Don't try and jot down the whole verse, just write down the reference by the way, okay? But it says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. God wants to know you. He knows you, but he also wants you to know him. You see, Jesus is the one that through his death for us on the cross, for our sins, you guys, he enables us to even have a relationship with God. You see, anyone who you meet in life who says that they have a relationship with God, but they don't believe in Jesus, they actually don't have any sort of relationship with God. Because the problem is, you guys, is before we came to Jesus for salvation, I've used this illustration in the past and I'll use it again right now. Imagine there was this wall that separated me from you guys, right? We can't have a relationship with one another if there is this separation between us. And before we came to Jesus, there was a separation between us and God. You guys know what it was? It wasn't a physical wall, but it was our sin. It was like there was this just giant wall that extended to the heavens that separated us from God. But through receiving the free gift of salvation in Jesus, it's as though Jesus just bulldozes that wall down. 
and now we can have a personal relationship with God. You see, I'm so passionate about this because your Christianity, your relationship with God, it shouldn't be boring, it should be beautiful. You're, you're, you reading the Bible in the morning, it shouldn't be this chore, it should be you letting him speak to you. You spending time in prayer is not some boring thing to do. It's you talking to your heavenly father and contributing to that relationship that he wants to have with you. In 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That word mediator it means that the one who stands between the, the one who stands in between I should say God and man to restore that relationship between God and man that was once ruined by sin. On the screen I, it's more simple, but that's what I'm trying to say to you guys is all of what I described to you that Jesus is the one who enables us to have a relationship with God. In verses four through eight, we see the next thing in Jesus's prayer for us that he wants us to know. And that's that you would know he is the Christ. That you'd know he is the Christ. And those verses are up there kind of just for you to refer to. Don't write down the whole thing. You'll be here all night. You see, contrary to what a lot of people think, Christ, the word Christ, is not Jesus' last name. <laughs> Some people actually think that. They think his first name's Jesus, they think his last name's Christ, right? Because we refer to Jesus as Jesus Christ. So, you know, in their mind, it's like, oh, yeah, Jesus is the first name, Christ is the second name, or his last name, I should say. But rather, Christ is a title that would be given and is prophesied of in the Old Testament, the Messiah, the Christ. The word Christ, you guys note it down, means the anointed one. Christ is the anointed one or the, the chosen one. You guys ever seen like movies where there's like a chosen one? Leanna, can we go to the next slide with those definitions, please? Christ is the anointed one or the chosen one. That's literally what it means. To refer to Jesus as the Christ is to refer to him as the Messiah that was prophesied of in the Old Testament that would ultimately save the people from their sin. I, I just a moment ago referred to, you know, movies that have like this chosen one. A couple that came to my mind today when I was, you know, studying um, was uh, Lord of the Rings, Aragorn, you know, the, the chosen king of Gondor, which if you haven't watched Lord of the Rings, definitely get your parents' permission before just doing so. But, uh, you know, just a, an awesome action movie. Uh, the, the author of the Lord of the Rings is actually, you know, a, a Christian who, uh, in his stories, he essentially kind of tells the gospel. And the chosen one in the Lord of the Rings, the, the chosen king of Gondor is this guy named Aragorn. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe one that most of you have seen, I would imagine, um, a movie that I, I can't hardly remember. But you guys remember Kung Fu Panda? It's been a while since I've seen that one. But what's the, what's the panda's name? Po. His name's Poe, right? 
And Poe is essentially this chosen one, right? To uh, beat the, the tiger or whatever, right? Is the tiger? The, the what? The dragon warrior? Yeah, the dragon warrior. He's this chosen one that was foretold of uh, beforehand. But then you also have, you know, I know a lot of you guys like Star Wars, so I had to throw this one in there too. You know, Luke Skywalker, the, the chosen Jedi, right? To, um, what are the bad guys called? The, you know, the, the Dark Vader. Yeah, all of that. See, I'm not much of a Star Wars guy, so I can't necessarily get super into that one. But everybody look at me. Jesus was the chosen one. Not chosen dragon warrior guy, but the savior, the prophesied savior of the Old Testament. He finished the work which the father gave him to do. The work of redemption or reconciliation is what other areas of the Bible say it as. He was the glorified one with the father before the world was made. He was the one who manifested or revealed is the idea of manifested, who revealed God to humanity. He was the messenger who delivered the very words of God and he's the sent one of God. See, Peter as many times as the Bible, you know, records P- Peter, you know, making a mistake or saying something he shouldn't have said, Peter nails it when he says this in Matthew 16, 16. It's on the screen for you. Peter says, you, speaking to Jesus, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And I know we're talking a lot of, you know, super in-depth doctrinal things right now, But this is so important that we understand this about Jesus because if we just think about Jesus as some character in the Bible that, oh yeah, he he died on the cross. You know, he was just some guy. He taught us about good things. He was the prophet. If that's all we see Jesus as, then we're missing it. I want you guys to turn in your Bibles to Colossians 1, 15 through 22. These verses will not be on the screen. We'll have the reference on the screen, but save your spot in John 17 because we're, excuse me, we're still looking a lot into John 17, but go to Colossians 1, 15 through 22 specifically. Colossians 1, 15 through 22. It's in the New Testament, few books over from where you're at in John 17, And once you get to Paul's shorter epistles, uh, I, I love what Pastor Joel said a while, a while back. And I actually remember it. I'd never been told this when I was younger looking through the Bible, that once you find Galatians, you can remember the, the order of Galatians through uh, Colossians as go eat popcorn. G-E-P-C. And you can remember which order. So if you get to Galatians, you're like, all right, I need to go over to the, to the corn. I got to go over to the corn. <laughs> But no, Colossians 1, you guys. Are you guys all there? If you're there, say what? Word. Word, there it is. Some of you said what. You get the idea. All right, look down in your Bibles. It says in verse 15, he being Jesus, that is, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth visible and invisible, whether, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, 
all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. That's an intense portion of scripture, if you didn't notice. And it is packed with Bible doctrine, specifically about how the, the deity of Christ. And the Bible teaches, you know, what's so important about this here in Colossians 1 and what Jesus is saying and praying, I should say, in John 17, you guys, is that he is teaching us that Jesus himself is the physical manifestation of God. You see, the Bible teaches us that God is spirit, meaning God does not have this form, right? He doesn't have a body, but Jesus is the embodied God. He is the physical. You see, we are physical. We live in a physical world, right? We have physical bodies. We are in a physical place. Jesus is the physical representation of all of who God is. It's not like Jesus is 80% of who God is. And there's like 20% of God that we don't know because Jesus didn't show us. No, in him, the Bible says, it pleased God that all the fullness of God should dwell in Jesus. To recognize Jesus as anything less than that is to say he's not God and not actually believe in him for what the Bible teaches he is, which is God incarnate. Moving on in Jesus's prayer for you, his prayer for you is that you'd be kept, that word kept, we're gonna talk about that in a moment, but that you'd be kept. And there's three specific elements about this, this keeping, about being kept that we're gonna look at right now. That you would be kept by the Father, that you would be kept in the world, but that you would be kept from the world or from the evil one, he says. So let's look at that first part and that title is still going to be on the screen. So no worries. You're going to see it on the next slide too. But let's look at that first part when he says that we would be kept by the father. In verse 11, you guys, Jesus says, Holy father, keep through, through your name, those whom you have given me. And that word keep, you guys, the definition is on the screen for you. The, the idea of keeping or being kept is the idea is to, to guard by keeping's one eye upon, to attend to carefully, to take care of, to cause to persevere and stand firm. You see, while, while Jesus was present with the disciples, did he not do these things? He did, right? Would you say that Jesus kept his eye on the disciples? Absolutely. Would you say that he attended to them carefully? 100% he did. And Jesus says, you know, he's telling the disciples earlier 
in the upper room discourse, he says, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be leaving you. But he says, don't worry. Because God is going to keep you. He is going to watch over you. He is going to keep his eye on you. The next part of being kept is actually, this sounds crazy to say, but Jesus says, God, he, he prays to God. And in verse 15a, we see that he actually prays that the disciples, that you and I, are you a disciple of Jesus? Yes or no? The answer, if you're a Christian, the answer is yes. He prays that we and the disciples at the time would actually be kept in the world. To be kept in the world. He says in verse 15a, he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Doesn't that sound kind of crazy? Because don't we think of eternal life as this like, awesome thing, and we should, that we long for eternity. Can we go ahead and go to the next slide, Leanna? That we long for eternity, you guys, and that it's where we want to be. Absolutely. And we should think of it as that. But also we need to recognize that Jesus prayed over the disciples and he would pray over us as well, that we would be kept here. It's kind of interesting to think about this because we're like, man, this world, this world's pretty awful. You know, there's, there's a lot of bad things in this world. Why would Jesus want to keep me? Why would he want to keep the disciples in the world? And the short answer to that question is because they had a job to do and because we have a job to do. You ever wonder like why the moment you got saved, you didn't just shoot up into heaven? You ever thought about that? Am I the only one who's thought about that? They're like, Lord, that would have been cool if we just like, you know, I get saved, I accept you as Lord and Savior, and then just boom, in heaven, with you forever. I ain't got to deal with none of the problems here on earth, none of the wickedness, none of that. I just get to be with you forever in heaven. That'd be kind of nice, right? But the problem with that, the problem with that way of thinking is you forget that God has a job for you to do here. A lot of people are walking around in this life. Everybody look at me real quick. This is so important. A lot of people are just walking around with no sense of purpose, with no sense of just knowledge of why am I here? Even a lot of Christians think this way sometimes of like, why am I even here? God has a purpose for every single one of you. He has a collective purpose for us all, and he has an individual purpose for you. He doesn't want you to leave just yet because he's got a job to do. I'm sorry, you've got a job to do. He's got a job to do in you. And that's why we're not home just yet. Everybody repeat after me. God, oh, let's restart because half of you did, half of you didn't. Repeat after me. God, is not, is not done, done with me, with me. Yet. yet. That's what keeps you going. That's what keeps me going. God's not, God's not done with me yet. You see, in like any of you bake, stop repeating after me, jokesters. Do any of you bake? I'm a pie guy. You guys like pies? 
I personally, I'm a big pie guy. I like cobblers. I like things with berries and fruits. I generally kind of lean towards those kind of desserts. Look at this pie on the screen right here. Regardless on if you're a pie guy or a pie girl or not, can we just acknowledge that that's a pretty good looking pie? Okay, well, clearly we have some opinions in this room. But you guys, what would happen if I took this beautiful, what I think is a beautiful looking pie, I guess. I guess I'm alone. If I were to take this pie and I were to put it in the oven for a minute and 30 seconds and I pull it out and we're like, pie is served, everyone. And I serve to you this pie that's been in the oven for a minute and 30 seconds. You're going to be like, like, what are you doing, Tate? You got to leave that pie in for the proper amount of time. And it's like Jesus says to the disciples, he doesn't say this in his prayer, but it's like he says to us, you're the pie. <laughs> and you need to be left in this world. You need to be left in this world for the proper amount of time. Because why? God is not done with you yet, and he has a job for you to do. So he prays that they would be kept in the world, but he also prays that they would be kept from the world, or from the ways of the world, or from the evil one. He says in verse 15b through 17, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world." Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus, he did pray that, you know, they would remain in the world and that you and I would remain in the world until the proper time. But he also prays that while we're in the world, that we would be kept from the evil one. Who do you think the evil one is? Satan. Yes. Yeah. The devil, the wicked one. And, you know, there's this mentality that I hope all of you can walk away from tonight of this not of this world mentality. And everybody see that logo there? Does anyone recognize it? Or is that logo like completely phased out? Does nobody recognize it? Some of you guys do. Okay, so this, this brand, I, I haven't seen any of their stuff in, in years. I think they're, they're long gone. But I love the brand, what was called Not of This World. It's N-O-T-W with the cross in the middle. The O is kind of sideways. But N-O-T-W, and what it stands for is Not of This World. And Jesus, you guys, he wants us to have this mentality. He wanted the disciples to have the mentality of being in the world, but not of the world. Do you guys understand the difference between the two? It means that you're still here, but you're not like the world. You're not like those who are in the world, who are walking in the world's ways. You see, to be of the world is to compromise our heavenly call to be holy and set apart from the ways of the world. The temptations and the allurements of this world, you guys, they're always trying to get us to conform to the world's ways. 
You see, the, the evil one that Jesus prayed that we would be kept from, he does not rest until we cave into the world. But the, the good news is you don't have to cave into the world's, the world's ways. God has called every single one of us. Everybody look at me. God has called you to be different from the world. You see, the world wants you to be like it. And God says to you, I don't want you to be like the world. I want you to be different. This is what it means when Jesus says in verse 17, you guys, when he says, sanctify them by your truth. You know what the word sanctify means? It means set them apart. Make them different from the world. Set them apart. The way I think of setting apart, you guys, is at, in my closet with my, I have like a stack, of, I have two stacks of t-shirts. I have like these shelves in my closet and I put my shirts on the shelves. Some people hang their shirts. I put mine on the shelves. And anyway, I have two stacks of shirts. I have a stack of shirts that I wear to the gym, that I sweat in, you know, do whatever in, that are not nice shirts. They've been worn. They're worn down. You know, they're, they're fine, you know, but they're just, they're not nice. They're all faded in color and whatnot. And then I have a stack of shirts that is next to but these shirts are set apart from the other shirts. They are different from the other shirts. They're more valuable to me. They're the ones that I wear to nicer things. They're not all beat up and raggedy. And Jesus says that you are to be set apart from the world. You're not to be in that stack of other shirts. He, if you are a Christian, he has already set you apart but sometimes we'll be in that, you know, I just, I'm sticking with the illustration here. Bear with me. But we'll be in that stack of those set apart shirts, the nice shirts. And we're like looking over at the other shirts and we're like, oh, I just want to be like those shirts. They look so dirty and nasty. And I just want to be like them. I want to conform to their ways. Now we wouldn't actually say this, but in our hearts, you guys, what we oftentimes do is we'll say, you know, I know I've been set apart by God. And then we're looking at maybe friends or family that we, that we know that are living in the ways of the world. And we're like, oh man, why do I want to be like them? Why do, I, why do I want to be like this loser TikTok star that looks like they have this glamorous life? That's just living in the world, the ways of the world. God doesn't have that plan for your life. He has a different plan for you. In John 15, verses 18 through 19, you guys, Jesus says, just a couple chapters before this point, he says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you, are of the, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, the world hates you. And right here, Jesus, he displays exactly what it means to be set apart. He says, I chose you. If you are a believer in Jesus, recognize this. If you struggle with any sort of self-worth or not knowing your purpose, know this. If you are a Christian, Jesus chose you out of the world. He chose you. He picked you. 
He's not like, oh, I got the leftovers. There's Tate, I guess. No. He loved you personally and he chose you out of the world. You're called to be radically different than the world. You see, we're sent into the world. You don't have to write this quote down, but you can maybe jot down what you think is important. I don't know. But we are sent into the world as those who've been set apart from the world to proclaim the gospel to the world and to stand for what's right in the world. I know it sounds like I probably just said a sentence like in a full circle and I kind of did. But we are sent into the world. We're set apart from the world. We're not to be like the world. Because why? Because God wants us to be proclaimers of his love, proclaimers of the gospel in the world and to stand for what is right. It's awesome. So he prays that we would be kept from the evil one, from the temptations of the devil, from the allurements of the world. But he also prays that we would be one with him and the Father, that we would be one with him and the Father. And we see this in verses 21 through 23. And I'm not gonna read these verses over again because we read them earlier. But basically what Jesus is saying when he says, Father, I pray that they would be one in me and with you, just as you are one with me and I am one in you. It kind of sounds confusing, but it's not that confusing. Because what he's saying is, Father, I want them to be one with us. And the word one, the literal meaning of the word one is it means to be united, to be united in will. And no doubt about it, Jesus is referring to the work of the Spirit of God, who he had talked about to the disciples just chapters before and had mentioned several times in his three years of teaching He had talked about the Holy Spirit. He's referring to the Holy Spirit right here. That the Holy Spirit would come and make us one with God. That we would have this united will with God. In John 14, 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. See, the Spirit of God unites our wills to God. And it is through and by the Spirit of God that we can be one in unity with God. See, the Holy Spirit that dwells in every true believer, the Holy Spirit enables us to love what he loves, even to hate what he hates, to want what God wants. It's all work of the Holy Spirit in us. And the final thing that we're going to look at tonight as we close is arguably my favorite part of this is that we would be with him and behold his glory forever. That we would be with him and behold his glory forever. In verse 24, he says, towards the very end of his prayer for the disciples, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. See, what I love about our redemption in Jesus, you guys, 
is it's not just about being saved from the wrath of God and being saved from hell. Obviously, that's part of it. It's a huge part of it, but it's not just about that. It is also about us being with God forever. Jesus wants you to be with him in heaven forever. Not just to be saved from punishment. That's, a, that's obviously, that's a given. That's going to happen. But that you would be with him. In John 14, verses 1 through 3, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And Jesus, he's speaking to the disciples. This happens just a couple chapters before. He's speaking to the disciples and he says, Guys, I'm going to be leaving you real soon here. He's going to die the very next day on the cross. He's not going to be with the disciples anymore. And Jesus is not walking this earth with us anymore. He did that. He's in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. But his comfort to the disciples, he says, don't let your hearts worry. See, a lot of people today, you know, they had their hope and everything banking on the elections and, and whatnot. And, you know, we should have had some sense of hope. But what I'm, what I'm trying to say here is, you guys, is people's hearts are just broken. And Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Because I'm going to come back for you. He's going to come back for us, you guys. He's going to rapture us back up to be with him forever. And in Revelation 21.3, this is one of the last verses in the entire Bible. It says, behold, this is, the very, this, is, this is what awaits us, you guys. And worship team, you guys can come on out. This is what awaits us. It says, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. See what awaits us in our eternity, you guys, is we get to be with Jesus. We get to be with God forever. Not only are we saved from wrath and punishment. Yeah, we are 100%. That's awesome. But we get to be with our God forever. He himself will be with them and be their God. So in closing tonight, Jesus's prayer for you is that you'd have eternal life. And that you would know God personally, that you'd have a personal relationship with him. That you would know he is the Christ, the chosen one, the anointed one of God, the prophesied Messiah. His prayer for you is that you'd be kept by the Father, that the Father would watch over you. And he does, he does watch over you. But also that you'd be kept in the world and be reminded that Jesus has, God has you here in this specific time because he has a purpose for you. He has a job for you to do. Your sense of worth comes from that very thing, that God has me here for a reason. He didn't make an accident in leaving me here. 
He has a job for every single one of us to do. And finally, that you'd be one with him and with him forever, and that we would behold his glory forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in you, Jesus, we have eternal life, Lord, that we get to know you. God, I pray that we wouldn't just do Christian things for the sake of doing Christian things because it's what we're supposed to do. But Lord, I pray that we would be, Lord, just recognizing these things as contributions to our relationship with you. God, help us to fall more deeply in love with you, God. You desire such a beautiful relationship with us. And we don't wanna miss out on that, Lord. We wanna experience all you have for us, Lord. And we're so thankful for the day that we will get to be with you forever. Lord, we give you this time of worship. We pray that we would respond to your prayer over us, in Jesus' name.